about a month ago, I ran my first ever marathon. I'm not saying, no, 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 well, sure, yeah, 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 I'm pretty good. Uh, No, uh, I'm not saying that as like a bragging piece. Uh, What I'm trying to say is I haven't even ran since. It's been a month. My uh, legs hurt for three days. I couldn't climb any stairs. Praise the Lord, we live in a bungalow. Uh, For like, even now, my hip flexor hurts. I didn't even know what a hip flexor was until I experienced pain. Uh, My Achilles in my left uh, foot is still hurting, and that's why I haven't been able to run. My big, not big toe, but my toes are like, goes the big toe, and then my second toe is actually taller than my next toe. That one, the toenail on both of them, purple. I think they're going to fall off any day. Uh, What I'm trying to say is, I'm still not okay. It's been a month, and I'm still not okay. I think sometimes it's a lot easier for us to recognize our physical bodies and to recognize when our physical bodies aren't doing well, but sometimes it's difficult for us to recognize uh, our mental state, our mental health, when our mental health isn't doing so good, to be able to say, ah, I'm I'm still not okay. So today what we're going to be doing uh, is we're just doing a journey uh, through mental health and what that actually looks like. Uh, Last week, we had uh, Kelvin Block up here, and he's sharing over the past, uh, giving us a reflection over the past uh, couple years of all the things that we've experienced. Sure, there's been some things that we've gained, but there's been a lot that we have lost. And in that, how are we, right? Are we still okay? We spent some time to just lament, right, to be sad, to mourn some of those things. It's important to actually mourn for us, actually, to take that next step to jump up. Right? And in that, we've experienced, I think, many people, we've experienced emotions and feelings that we haven't really experienced before. But for some, you've experienced those feelings before. We understand that the last uh, two and a half years or two years, uh, for many people, that it didn't cause anxiety. Or maybe it did, but it didn't cause depression. Maybe some of those things were there beforehand. Maybe you were experiencing something that's new during that season, but often too, right? That they could have been there beforehand. But when difficult circumstance after difficult situation after difficult situation, all of a sudden they actually just rise to the top, right? We maybe are experiencing them more than we have before. Uh, So today, um, yeah, I think um, the past couple years, they exposed some things that were actually hiding within us, or maybe they're already at the forefront, right? I think this journey of mental health is kind of all over the place, and we all experience it in a different way. But I know in the past uh, year, I've had more conversations with people saying, oh, I'm experiencing what I think is, like, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, anytime I've got to go do something, I'm feeling nervous. I'm sweaty. I'm shaking. My heart rate is increasing. Like, what's, what's wrong with me? Right? They're experiencing a panic attack or anxiety or something I've had quite often is this, is I feel sad and I don't know why. So what do we do about that? What does that look like? So today we're actually going to spend some time just doing a little bit of a mental health check. And this is a difficult conversation. Like for me, I'm like, oh, I've got to try to like talk about mental health in in, in one sermon. And I'm like, I'm overwhelmed, right? I'm going to tell you this week I was overwhelmed of like, what are the things that are important for us to discuss? Um, And I'm going to be upfront. I'm going to miss things. I'm not going to address everything. Maybe we're going to, right? There's there's going to be things that I'm not 
uh, addressing, they're like, oh, I wish you would have talked about that. And that's a difficult thing. But I think, yeah, I might miss some things, but I think what's important is to have a conversation. Right? To say that it's okay not to be okay. What does it look like for us as a community to have a safe place for us to actually talk about those important issues in life? And why is this conversation important? Why is it an important one? Because uh, I think when we are experiencing um, right, some mental health issues or symptoms, uh, that I think it actually can cause some damage to self. Right? Maybe you don't actually feel like you are the person who you should be. Maybe you actually feel like you're living in a fog, right? Where you're just not, like, it's hard to see clearly about what's ahead of you. Maybe you're dwelling on the past or fearful of the future. Maybe in the midst of that, you've actually isolated yourself. That you feel forsaken, right? You feel friendless. That we can cause damage to ourselves. We can actually cause damage or hurt to other people in the midst of that. And we can also uh, find our relationship with God uh, lacking, or hurt, wondering where is God in the midst of this? So that's why, and I think this is just an important conversation uh, for us to have. Right? I think that God has actually gifted each one of us. He's gifted each one of us, but I think sometimes uh, our own mental health can actually get in the way of us using the gifts that God has intended for us. So how do we address this? How do we actually understand where we are? How do we do a check? I think Kelvin did a great uh, illustration last time of this emotional and physical energy. Bounce back, right? When something difficult happens in your life, how long does it take for your energy uh, to come back, right? Your emotional and physical energy, how long does it take for it to come back? Does it go back all the way? Does it take a span of weeks, right? Like when I think, when I'm doing well, and I get difficult news, just for simple, that my kid is sick, my kid's got a cold, a little bit longer, to recover. Uh, his immune system is a little bit weaker. So, you know, it's the first time I'm like, okay, I can bounce back up, right? Maybe I'm sad for uh, two hours or something, and I'm like, okay, now I process it, and I'm okay. I'm okay. I got this, and I can, I can convince myself I'm okay, right? I'm okay. But what about when we're not doing so well, right? Where my son had the flu to uh, COVID to RSV to pneumonia, and then this week, or last week, he had a fever again, right? My bounce back time wasn't, when he woke up and I like looked at him and he's sick again, I was like, oh, I just sunk. But it took me a while to actually bounce back, right? You're just sitting in that where you're just like tired after being tired after being tired for a situation and you just feel stuck, that your resiliency, your bounce back just isn't there. And I think this is a great way for us to even uh, realize that where are we? Where are you? Right? Maybe you're at that point where it just feels like, yeah, I'm pretty high. Right? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Like, life is, life is good. That if something difficult happens, that I feel like, you know, even within my own mental health and my resiliency and my bounce back, that I'm at, ah, maybe I'm at an eight. Right? On a scale of 10 being, like, you're the best you've ever been, uh, one being the worst. Like, ah, maybe I'm an, at an eight. And maybe... And I get this sense over the past few years where there's been situation after situation, fear after fear, where it's like maybe we're sitting a little bit closer to a three. Maybe we're sitting closer to a two. But I want to ask you right here, where are you? Where are you? 
And don't feel any pressure just because we're on this uh, right, series of, of mental health. Like If you're like, oh yeah, I'm a nine, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to make other people feel bad. Hey, you know what? It's okay to be okay. It's okay to be okay. But it's also okay not to be okay. And how do we actually live in that as a community? Right? Part of finding healing is actually knowing where you are at so you know where to go. Right? If you were lost in the woods, it's sometimes you need to just stop. If you've ever hiked like I have and all of a sudden got lost, and you just need to pause and just remember, where am I? So I actually know the direction in which to go. Uh, when we look, Matthew 9, 12, and I just love this uh, beautiful picture of, of Jesus. Right? It says that when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. That Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the great physician helping us. But what is one of the first things we do when we actually go into the doctor for a checkup? Right? They actually figure out what's wrong so we actually know how to get better. So I just want this to be just this opportunity for us to have our, our checkup. Right? Our checkup. With Jesus as the great physician. Where are we? Right? So that we actually know how to get better. And I just want to focus in on uh, just... Uh, two, I know there's many different, as far as we go onto the spectrum of mental health, I know that it's a wide spectrum. There's a lot that we can actually cover, but I'm just going to spend time, we're going to focus on two. We're going to focus in on anxiety, and we're going to focus in on depression, right? So um, anxiety is an emotion, this is, yeah, is an emotion categorized by feelings of tension. Worried thought and physical change, like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorder usually have reoccurring, intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. A lot of the times, anxiety is caused by the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future. And we're anxious about it. We don't don't know what's going to happen. I wish I knew what was going to happen, so I knew how to be better prepared. Right? This fear of the unknown. Next, depression. Depression is more than just sadness. People with depression may experience a lack of interest in pleasure and daily activity, significant weight loss or gain, insomnia or excessive sleeping, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt and uh, recurrent thought of death or suicide. Where anxiety is kind of the fear of the future, depression is the lack of hope, hopelessness. Right? I know that these are heavy topics to be covering on a Sunday morning. Uh, and I'm just, we're just going over these things of like, maybe you've experienced some of this before. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. Maybe you've got a friend who's experiencing this. And you're like, how can I be there? How can I help? How can I actually bring hope? And I think there's different uh, ways that anxiety and depression can be experienced. I think um, there's situational anxiety and depression. Right, that it's actually based on a situation, that something difficult has actually happened in life that has actually caused it. Right, we can go over the past couple of years of uh, fear of being sick, the fear of getting somebody else sick, maybe the loss of a job. Right, even now, what does it look like? Oh, I've got a test in school, and I'm worried about it. That I want to make sure that I've got everything together. Right, for those who are students, or maybe somebody's jumping into a job interview, and I want to just make sure I get everything right, and I'm just anxious about it. Or maybe you've experienced loss. And you just feel that pain, and you're sitting in that pain. And that's situational. That's a situation that is causing these emotions and these feelings. And for some, it's actually genetic. 
For some, it's hereditary, right? It may be, be something that's actually within your family, right? That there's, uh, there, there is something within your genetics that is causing these things to happen, and a chemical imbalance within, within your brain, within your body, that actually just needs to be addressed, right? So there are different uh, forms of even just anxiety and depression. And as I was researching it a little bit, um, and we're, we're, a lot of people would say we're in this like epidemic of anxiety, right? And as I was researching it, even just within Canada, that they would say, um, recent studies say one in four people aged 18 or older are experiencing symptoms of anxiety, depression, or post-traumatic stress disorder. One in four, which has gone up from the, before the pandemic from one to five, right? So we, we understand that it existed before, but it has increased a little bit. It existed before, but it has increased a little bit. And I know that's heavy. We started heavy. But there's hope, right? We rest in the idea that there is hope. That we can be transformed. And I just love this one line, right? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. In my, uh, in my studies, I've come across this concept of neuro, neuroplasticity. All right, everybody say plasticity with me. Neuroplasticity. All right, what does that mean? What it means is that you can teach uh, an old dog new tricks. That's what it means, right? That your brain isn't, your brain doesn't stop growing. Your brain doesn't stop moving, that there is even the things that the, maybe things that we've believed or experiences that we've had, that we can actually find health, that we can actually find recovery, that your brain, that we can actually rewire some of those parts, right? That your brain doesn't stop changing. There is neuroplasticity. That is hope. Like for me, I'm like, that is awesome. Because a lot of times you feel like the things that have happened to me or the things that I believe that I'm stuck, that's it. But there's hope. There's hope. And what I find the greatest hope in is the hope that Christ brings, right? The, actually, this hope of eternity, right? That Christ has, like, uh, he has lived life and he lived it to the fullest, right? That Jesus actually came out the other side of suffering. He came out the other side of death, that he actually brought resurrection life, that he actually invites us to be part of, right? To actually live life to the fullest with Christ for eternity. That is what we actually have access to. That is hope. That is greater perspective. It's seeing beyond myself and actually seeing into uh, what Christ has for us, that God cares deeply for us, even in our moments, where we are right now, in our struggles, but he has eternity waiting for us. Let's persevere for the eternity that God has promised us. It says this in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life to the fullest, not one to be lived after we die, but one to be experienced here and now, right? That is our motivation. That is why this is important. And I think quite often, even just our own mental state and our mental health actually pulls us away from actually that satisfying life and that life to the fullest. But God actually has life for the fullest for us, that we are not uh, defined by the state of our mental health, our struggles, our anxiety, our depression. Yeah, that is part of who we are, and it actually helps shape us but God has a satisfying life for us, right? God actually has more. In my physical injuries, right, my tight Achilles and my pulled hip flexor, 
I don't know what to do with my toenails. I don't think there's any hope for them. But the other things, there's certain things I can put in place. I can go to Cairo. I can get massages. The worst is I sit, and I did this for like two months straight, maybe three, sit in front of the TV when I'm watching TV, and I would use a roller. Has anybody used like a muscle roller before? No? Okay. Maybe people haven't experienced the pain of a muscle roller. It is painful, um, but relieving, right? It was actually something that I put in place to actually make my physical body feel better. But what can we actually do with our mental health? What is the roller of our mental health? What can we put in place to actually make ourselves healthy? And as somebody who's actually dealt with and deals with uh, anxiety, who's had seasons of mild depression in the past, I want to share with you a few things that I found helpful. So I know this isn't like a one-size-fits-all. Right? And when I look into some mental health stuff within my family that uh, all my siblings and my, my dad also experience it. But we also all find health in different ways. Right? There's different things that work for different people. Right? So don't see this as like, this is a one-size-fits-all thing that it can actually change uh, from, the person, from one person to the next. And I'd love to say that, oh, I always feel good. Right? Like I, don't, I put these things in place and I never feel anxiety again, but that's not true. Right? There are seasons in my life where I still experience it to a, high, heightened, uh, to a heightened level. Right? I always, sometimes I forget to put, keep putting these things in place. Um, but what does it look like for us to actually put some healthy practices in place for us to uh, remain healthy or maybe for us to receive some health? What does, that actually, what does that actually look like? And the main thing for me, the biggest thing, is actually my faith in Christ. My faith in Jesus is probably the biggest practice that helps me. Uh, and I'm in the middle right now of my uh, master's in counseling psychology, just because I find this stuff interesting. Uh, and I'm just in the middle of it, and I'm, I, I remember my first class. I'm sitting down, and I open the textbook, and I start reading. And I'm like, I've heard this before. I've heard these concepts before. And as I'm flipping through, right, like the, this uh, textbook, this secular textbook, I'm like, oh, so many of these concepts are deeply embedded in Scripture. They're deeply embedded in Christ. They're deeply embedded in God. That I'm like, oh, there are so many practices that we can actually, uh, we can see that Christ is working throughout the whole thing, right? Live in these ways to find healing, right? And I've written papers in my, in my program, and I like to, anytime I have the opportunity to throw faith within my papers, I do. Uh, and every single time, uh, there is this direct correlation between faith and resiliency, right? Faith and your bounce back. Faith in your mental health. There's a correlation between the two all the time. Why? Why? And I think it comes down to, right, I think it comes down to this eternity. I think it comes down to hope. I think it comes down to the way that Christ has actually uh, designed us to live and the way that uh, practices that he actually tells us to put in place. So we're going to go through some of these practices. Each one of them I found in my textbook, and each one of them I found in the Bible. Right? I think they're deeply grounded in who we are. Right? But your present moment matters to God, but your present moment really doesn't define you. Right? God has eternity planned for you. And it's easy to, that's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to be like, oh yeah, God's got something better. I don't have to focus about here and now. Right? But it is very easy just to focus in on our troubles and our worries and not actually give those to God. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time going over just a few mental health practices. Right? And I think we've all been wounded. We've all been wounded. So how can we actually take care of our mental health? Within our own wounds, how can we actually find healing? And I think this is for everybody. 
regardless of where you're at, right? Maybe you said you're at a nine, maybe you're at an eight, maybe you're at a one, maybe you're at a two, right? And regardless, I think these things are for all of us. One of the shows that I enjoy watching is Survivor. Anybody watch Survivor? One of the first things, what is one of the first things that they do besides the competition and then they break into teams, okay? Um, But when they go off on the island, what is the first thing they do? Anybody? Build a shelter. They build a shelter. Regardless if it is raining or not, they go and they build a shelter. They are prepared for when the storms come because the storms are going to come. And sometimes they get there and it's already storming and they've got to build a shelter, right? Like what does it look like for us to actually build a shelter in our life for when the rains and the storms and the winds start coming that we feel prepared, right? So for maybe for some, it's like, what does it look like to put some practices in place to maybe stay at it? eight, to stay at a nine? What does it look like for somebody who's at a one to maybe put some practices to maybe get to a two, right? To make one step in that next thing. What does it look like for us to build that shelter? And that's kind of how I see this. Um, And I think there are many ways to do it. And I'm not going to get all of them, not even close. But I just want to do one quick, uh, just address one thing really quick. I just want to address medication really quickly. But I know that even within uh, faith circles, and I've heard like some people really struggle with it, of this concept of, uh, if I take medication for my mental health, am I losing faith in God? Right? And there's some difficulties within that. I'm not going to address it too much, but I think uh, sometimes, right, especially um, when it is like a genetic disorder, or maybe when we're really step deep, that sometimes medication is actually needed, right, to actually help us get out of the fog, to help us see clearly but can't be the only thing that we're relying on, right? It helps us to get out of the fog so we can actually put some practices in place to help us, right? And maybe for some, right, that maybe you're on medication and you need it and you're better because of it, that's awesome, right? And for others, maybe you're like, oh, I want to be on it. Like, maybe I need it for a season so I can put some of those things in in place, right? And I know that there's a lot of controversy about it, so I just wanted to address it, right? Um, That there are things about it that actually is needed to help us, to restore our balance, to become who we are intended to be. But the first practice that I want to talk about beyond that is being fully present. Being fully present in the moment. Right? When I'm showing my anxious and depressive tendencies, uh, I rarely live in the present moment. Rarely. Right? My mind right away, it races to my past failures. All of a sudden, for some reason, I'm woken up in the middle of the night with a panic attack, focusing in on something that happened three years ago, or a conversation that I had, or a failure that I did. Right, it's this idea of I'm just stuck in the past and I'm stuck in my failures, or I'm focusing about the future. Right, I'm worried about things to come. Is money going to come in? Is there going to be provision? Uh, what's going to happen? Right, and I'm actually I'm rarely ever here. Like I might actually be physically present with my family, friends, people, but I couldn't be further than from than mental or further from them mentally. Right, what does it look like to actually be present? And I think this is this idea of this form of mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is this practice, uh, this basic human ability to be present, aware of where we are and what we're doing, and not over, overly react or overwhelmed by what's going on around us, right? It distracts us from our reaction so that we can actually be present. And what has helped me in this is the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, right, he says this, give us each day, our daily bread. Not give us 
each day are tomorrow's bread, or a month from now's bread, or a year's from now bread. What he's saying is, give us each day, right, our daily bread. Not to focus in on the past of like, oh, all these things that happened, all that kind of stuff. Don't focus in on the future of how I'm going to achieve this and accomplish this and all this kind of stuff. Focus on each day. Be present. Don't think too far ahead. Right, it says this, so don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, in Matthew 6.34, will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I think quite often, right, anxiety is caused by the fear of the unknown, a.k.a. tomorrow. Let's spend time in the present moment instead of living in past failures or fears of the future. I know that's way easier said than done, and allow Christ to actually be your provider and find rest in the arms of the one who is big enough to hold our burdens. So what does this actually look like practically? For me, practically, this looks like living in the gratitude of God. Bring back the Lord's Prayer again, again, right at the beginning, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's this uh, focus on the holiness of who God is. Hallowed be your name, right? For me, I actually spend time and I actually write things down that I am grateful for, right? So I actually spend time and I'm, I'm writing down uh, the things like uh, like God in the, I try to start each day of my prayer life. I actually work through the Lord's Prayer in my prayer life, and I start there each day, and I just try to spend time, Lord, I'm thankful for my family, for provision, for community. And it's quite quickly, I actually find myself moving away from my past failures. I find myself moving away from my fears of the future, and I actually find myself to be able to rest in the gratitude of God and find rest in the ways that God provides for me. When we realize that God has always been provider and hope for us, that we are actually grounded in who God is, and it brings us back to the present moment. Being grounded in God actually helps us be grounded in who we are, not defined by our past failures or our future worries, but defined by our creator, and who he has created us to be. Practice number one, being fully present. What does it look like to be grateful to have gratitude to maybe keep a gratitude journal and to write those things down and to keep adding to the list another one is being aware and challenging negative thoughts kelvin spoke about this last week about lies that we believe many of our motivations start with our automatic thoughts about self if our automatic thoughts are positive our actions follow right that if i've got confidence that i can I don't know, climb a tree, what do I do? I go and climb that tree. Uh, but if my thoughts, automatic thoughts are negative, ooh, I think that branch is going to break on the way up. Or, oh, I don't have confidence in myself to do it. What do I do? I don't do it. Right? Our thoughts actually affect our behavior. Our thoughts affect our behavior. Our thoughts about the world, others, and self greatly affect our behavior and affect our actions. Right? Anxiety is a normal thing. It's a normal thing. It's actually there to protect us. Right? It's a protection uh, barrier that's actually created within us um, so that we don't get injured or we don't die. Like, for example, uh, when I go for a hike, I am a little bit anxious about bears. 
I don't know, anybody else? Or is everybody no fear whatsoever about bears, right? If anxiousness didn't exist, um, right? It's this anxiousness that actually allows me to be like, okay, I'm actually going to bring bear spray. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of research on if I, if I encounter a bear, I know what to do. I'm not going to go all of a sudden see one because they do look cute, right? I'm not going to all of a sudden run up and be like, oh, look at this puppy and pet this bear, right? Anxiousness keeps me from petting the bear, which keeps me from being mauled, right? It's a protection. It's there. Like, it's got a purpose. It serves a purpose. But sometimes we allow our automatic thoughts, our negative thoughts, to actually allow us to be anxious over things that we don't really have business being anxious about, right? Over this, like, life and death situation, but now all of a sudden we're worried about all just these daily tasks, right? This thing that was actually caused to protect us is actually damaging us because of some of these thoughts that we have. We must be aware of our negative thoughts because they actually change the way that we behave. And sometimes, you know, being aware of them doesn't necessarily mean getting rid of them because sometimes it's so deeply embedded that it can be quite hard to get rid of. And maybe you will eventually, but I believe that's a journey. And sometimes I actually believe that Christ heals us right away and we actually can get rid of those things. Um, but we need to understand the role of negative thoughts. We need to understand the role of anxiety and let them play uh, the role that they're intended to play. For example, a negative automatic thought that I have quite often is I'm not good enough. How does this affect my behavior? I don't try new things. You try to play a board game with me that I don't know, don't want to do it uh, because I'm afraid that I'm going to fail, right? I don't actually want to try new things. It takes a lot for me to actually try new things. And if I do, I actually practice them first by myself so I don't embarrass myself in front of others because I believe that I'm not good enough, right? I dwell on past mistakes and it makes me reserved and it makes me not who I was actually created to be. I'm not willing to take risks and experience what God has for me. Uh, my thoughts affect my current behavior. And maybe you have thoughts too, negative thoughts about self. Maybe you believe that you, right? Maybe too, you don't believe that you're good enough or good looking enough. Maybe you believe that everybody's out to hurt you, that you aren't smart enough, that nobody likes you, that you have a great fear of death and you're consumed by it. Maybe you believe that what you've done is unforgivable. Maybe you believe that you are marked by your past. Right? We need to replace these automatic, these negative automatic thoughts with what is true. And sometimes, if that's again, it's one of those things that's a lot easier said than done. Sometimes it's hard to actually recognize what's the truth and what's a lie. Because sometimes the lies start as partial truths. And there's this story in the Bible, right from the beginning. Right? Spend some time in, in Genesis uh, 1 to 3. And there's the story of creation, right? How ma- uh, God created mankind in his image, that he provided for them in every single way to actually make them feel uh, completely comfortable in just who they are because they recognize that they are gods, right? That they're finding rest in that. But all of a sudden, a lie started to come in, right? We have this picture of this serpent that says, ah, you know what's actually better than God providing for you? You can provide for yourself. Right? You don't actually need this guy. That's just the, you know, the middleman. You can do this all yourself. Right? And this lie started to creep in a little bit, uh, and they fell into that desire right? to become like God, knowing uh, the knowledge of good and evil, and what does that look like. Right? And we, we see this image of mankind separating themselves from God. And right after that happens, we have uh, this story. But before we do, uh, spo- well, not spoiler alert, but... Uh, before I read the story, that they were naked, okay? 
At creation, they were naked, and that was enough. Right? God didn't create them with uh, the fig leaves already. Uh, right? That they were naked, and they were comfortable in their nakedness. They are comfortable in their vulnerability. Okay? So as we jump into there, that's the, that's the context. Here's the story, or just the verse, right? It says, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Right? This is Adam. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I condemned you not to eat? The phrase I want to focus in on, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? They quickly realized uh, the enemy came in and he, and he started to uh, do some partial lies, some partial truth. They quickly realized that they can't provide fully for themselves. They realized their own vulnerability, their own nakedness, and they felt ashamed. In other words, they felt like they were no longer good enough. They were no longer good enough on their own. Who told you you were naked? Were they naked? Yeah. But why did they actually have to feel ashamed? Right? It's this partial truth. In the same way, yeah, I failed. But that doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. Yeah, I failed. But that doesn't mean that I'm, not, that I'm worthless. Yeah, I have a pimple in the middle of my face, but that doesn't mean that I'm not beautiful. Yeah, people have hurt me, but that doesn't mean that people don't love me. Yes, I failed a test, but that, that, that doesn't mean that I'm not smart enough. Yeah, bad things have happened. That, that doesn't mean that I need to give up hope. Yes, death is real, but it doesn't mean that I can't live life to the fullest. Yes, we have all sinned, but you are forgiven. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? And a lot of these thoughts, these negative uh, automatic thoughts, a lot of them actually come uh, from our childhood. They're developed a long time ago. That maybe something happened. That maybe you were being punished for something that you didn't do and it made you believe that you were unworthy. Or maybe you were shushed. Shh. Well, your parents were on the phone and it made you believe that you don't have a voice. Maybe you experienced death in the family really young and now you have a fear of what it means for you. Uh, for me, one of these automatic thoughts comes down to a memory. One of these negative automatic thoughts. It comes down to playing hockey as a kid. Uh, I love playing hockey. It was great. Uh, and I was okay at it. Uh, and when I would score a goal, my dad uh, would buy me a bag of Hawkins cheesies, right? Just as like a good job, son. You know, and it was like a good memory that we had. It was a really good memory that we had. But if I didn't score, I didn't get one, okay? Uh, right? It's just like, but in my mind right away, this truth, it was just this partial truth, but not really. Uh, but it took, and I'm actually like, took a while to recover from it. I think uh, the enemy took a memory that was good with my dad and turned it into one where I didn't, if I didn't perform well, that I wasn't loved, right? That I was a failure. I think the enemy does that lots. Takes something in our life. It's a partial truth, right? I didn't score a goal. I did, fa I did fail, right? But that doesn't mean that I wasn't loved the whole time. We can allow those things to actually uh, define us in who we are. But no, I'm good enough because of who God created me to be, not based on my success or my failure. So who, here's the question. Who told you you were naked? What lies or partial truths have you actually believed about yourself that affect uh, your actions, right? These negative automatic thoughts that come to mind that are affecting your behavior. 
right? Usually they're a belief of ourself, um, but what does it look like for us to understand them? Let's actually understand our motivation. And another practical tip, I know I've talked already about journaling, right? A gratitude journal of writing down the things that we're grateful for. What does it look like for us to actually write down some of these negative thoughts? What does it look like for us to actually write down these things that we believe and actually replace them with the truth? Here at Sun West, we believe that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is moving, that Jesus still cares, that Jesus loves, that Jesus speaks. So what does it look like to actually allow Jesus to speak into our lives? Right? Write down those lies. And on the other side, write down, combat that lie with the truth. Write down something that is true, right? That God has actually said about you. Um, that Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does it look like for us actually to live out of the truth that Jesus says of who we are, not based on some of those negative thoughts? But what came first? All right, we talked about how our thoughts affect our behavior, but what came first, right? The chicken or the egg. It's one of those. Because our behavior also affects our thoughts. Our behavior also affects our emotional state. Um, so what does it look like for us to actually change your behavior? And that actually can change your emotional uh, state as well. It can actually change your thoughts as well. So this is a, I'm jumping into a second, a second one. Or no, third one, I think. I'm on a third practice, maybe. Um, but what does it look like for us to actually change our behavior as well? Right? Jesus, Abraham, Go! into the land that I've given you, right? This challenge, this, this push, this goal, go. The woman who's caught in adultery, he says, go and sin no more, right? This goal, go do something, change your behavior, right? Actually change, like get rid of some things and maybe replace them with something else. To his disciples, he says, go, right? He says, go um, and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? This idea of go, change your behavior, he also says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I don't like that one because uh, that seems too difficult uh, at times. But it's this, this idea of our behavior. Change your behavior and our thoughts about Jesus actually start to change too. Our thoughts about self actually start to change too. Um, that we have a purpose and that we're actually called into action. So there are certain things in our life, behaviors sometimes, that we actually need to get rid of that are unhealthy. That maybe actually to replace them with something that is actually healthy for us. Right? Maybe those unhealthy things might be substance abuse or avoidance or watching too much Netflix to avoid other things in, in life. Right? It could be removing some of these negative things and replacing them with things that are life-giving. Right? Things that actually bring us joy. And we're just going to call these goals. What does it look like for us to actually have goals? And I think there are different types of goals. Uh, and the first one, I think, is, is a large-scale goal with our mental health. Why do I actually want to receive healing in the first place? What is my large motivation? What is my big goal? What do I want to get? Maybe it is, I want to be more present with my family because I feel like I can't. Maybe your large goal is, I just actually want to sleep through the night without having a panic attack. Maybe your large goal is, I want to try new things without feeling like a failure, right? I want to be able to get out of bed tomorrow. That might actually be your large goal. I want to give a presentation at work without feeling sick to my stomach. Our large goals can be a wide variety of things, but it's our underlying motivation to everything we do. What is our larger goal of why we actually want to find health? Do we just want to be healthy for ourselves, for others, for God? What is that big goal? But sometimes I think that goal is more of like, right? It's like, it's more of a leap. It's from there to here. And it can be hard to be like, okay, I'm just going to go do it, right? So sometimes I think we need to actually just take one small step at a time. 
one small step at a time. And we've, I'm just going to, maybe you've heard of smart goals before. For me, these are things that I put in my life all over the place that really uh, benefit even just my health and benefit my life. Um, smart goals. So what are they? Is S, right? Specific. They're measurable. They're attainable. They're relevant to your larger goal. And they're time-based, right? This is, these are our, these smaller goals that we can actually put in place that they're specific, measurable, attainable for me is the big one. Because if you pick a goal that is unattainable and if you can't reach it, it actually probably causes more damage than it does good, right? What does it look like to actually start small, start small? Like a few of these smart goals that I have in my life is, hey, I just want to spend time in my Bible every other day. I want to spend time doing devotions, right? So there's seasons in my life where I feel like I can do it all the time. There's seasons in my life where I'm like, even just, maybe I can even just squeeze it in once a week, right? It's just defined. It's not that, like, it's, it's not one goal fits all, right? It's, each goal is actually different for each person. One of them that I, that I consistently do and why I actually feel like I'm maybe struggling a little bit these days is run at least two times a week, which I haven't been able to do for the past uh, month. But run two times a week. It helps me out. I want to go to bed by 10, by 10 p.m. and wake up by 7. Impossible with a newborn. Uh, but that might be a goal to, to, like, oh, I'm finding myself tired. Maybe I need to put that in a goal. Maybe a goal is um, I'm going to write five things that I am thankful for today. Maybe that's your small goal. Or I'm going to confide in a friend this week about that I'm actually not doing okay. Or I'm going to go book a therapy session. Or I'm going to cook my favorite meal because it brings me joy, right? They can be simple, but a life worth, li- but it's a life worth living. And most of the time, life is lived one small step at a time. Plus, it actually feels good to like check a box, right? Like to say, I did that one thing today, right? It actually affects us. Our behavior actually affects uh, our thoughts and our emotions. The next mental health practice I want to talk about is community. Right? There can be, there's lots of conversation these days about self-care. Self-care. What does it look like for me to be healthy for myself? And Matt, he spent time in the Shalom series, and he talked lots about Freud and this concept of finding your own happiness. Right? Like finding your, but it's a difficult thing, because happiness can actually be subjective, because sometimes what makes us happy comes at the expense of other people. Right? As a faith community, I think self-care is really good. But it's never meant to actually just stop there. It's actually meant to be lived beyond just self. As a faith community, uh, we know that we find healing not alone but together. We are holistic, which means we are sum of all our parts. And as a faith community, we're actually part of a community. That's who we are. We don't do life alone. But this community is wounded. We've all been hurt. And unfortunately, we've probably all hurt somebody else at some time, right? This community is not perfect. We've discussed how do we find healing in our own wounds, but now how do we actually find healing in the wounds of others? This is where health of the community matters. We don't always need to be our best self. It's okay sometimes to not be okay, to be at a two, to be at a three. But what does it look like for us to rest on those who are maybe an eight or a nine, but to know that those roles actually sometimes reverse, Right, that we don't just find health to keep it to ourselves. We actually find it to help somebody else. Um, that we understand that we are also we're here to. And I preached that a little while ago. We're actually here to carry other people's burdens, but we're here to actually be a burden to other people too. 
does it look like for us to actually to live in that health? Um, we can learn from others' pain, from other people's joy, from other people's wounds, and how they've recovered. That it can actually instill hope within our life. And I just love this verse, and we go through this in our uh, starting point material uh, at church, and it says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. When one part hurts, we all hurt. We hurt together. We're wounded together. When we rejoice, we actually rejoice together. We celebrate together. There's something about being together. Uh, here's where, right, those numbers come in, that we're here to instill hope in each other, right? Those who are eights, nines, sevens are here instilling hope, and we actually, those roles kind of go back and forth throughout the years. We've all experienced difficult seasons in life, and some of us are out of them. Some of us are right in the middle of them. We practice self-care, not only for self, but that so we can help others. My hope and my prayer is that this is the type of community that SunWest is, where we can trust one another and we can help one another and where we find rest, healing, and shelter from the storm. That we practice self-care not to keep it to ourselves, but to bless those around us, our friends, family, and our faith community. That SunWest, no matter what people are going through, can be shelter from the storms in life. That as you enter into the space, this is my prayer, that the rain stops, the winds stop, that maybe you can warm up a little bit, that you can dry out your clothes, and that you can actually find healing and rest from a broken soul. Henry Nouwen, an author, he says this, uh, who can take away suffering without entering it? It is illusion to think that a person can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Who can take away suffering without entering it? We've all struggled in one way or another. We've all hurt, and this may be with our mental health or maybe not. But when we share life in community, we realize although everyone's story is different, we may find hope in someone who's walked through the desert and found their, their way to the other side. Let us find health and healing not alone and not for ourselves alone. Let us share in life and find and and help find the life Christ actually has intended for us, this life to the fullest, which leads me to my last practice, of finding rest in Jesus Christ, the wounded healer. As we read that verse again, or that, sorry, not that verse, that quote, who can take away suffering without entering it? It is an illusion to think that a person can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Christ was wounded. God came to earth to experience our joys, to experience our pains. He lived the human experience as he was overwhelmed, hurt, and struggled. He said, Lord, right? Are you, like, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He experienced pain. He walked through the desert. He made it through the other side. That he is our wonderful counselor and he says this come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I hum I'm humble and gentle at heart 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Amen. it look like for us in all circumstances, all situations? Whether we're doing good, whether we're doing bad, in the midst of the storms, in the midst of our anxiety, the midst of our depression, that we can just trust that God is our firm foundation, that he won't fail us. Amen. We've talked about lots about being grounded in the present moment by giving gratitude with God, by not living in the past or not living in the present or future. What does it look like to be aware of those lies or those negative thoughts and replace those with the truth that God actually has for us? What does it look like for us to put some goals in place to actually change our behavior, that it changes our, our, our emotions and our feelings as well? What does it look like to live life in community? To share in our joys, but to share in our struggles. Maybe this means opening up to somebody and saying to somebody, hey, I'm not okay, and start a conversation. What does it look like to God to actually admit to, hey, you know what, I've actually tried, like Adam and Eve, to do things on my own. I felt like I was the God of my own life, but what does it look like to surrender, to say, I just need to find rest. I just need to find rest in who God created me to be, that I don't have to actually provide for myself. I don't have to actually hold that weight and burden that we can actually let God be the Lord of our lives. We also offer a prayer team, or prayer ministry at the end of each service. We have if there's, somebody, if there's something going on in your life or maybe you're, you're struggling with your mental health and you just want prayer, we have prayer teams. We also uh, work with a number of counselors to actually find, what does it look like to find healing that way? So if you're ever interested in even counseling, please let us know as staff by emailing the church and we can try to help you figure out what does that route look for you. But God has life for you and he has life to the fullest. Let me pray. God. Yeah, God, we just want to thank you that you are a firm foundation. We want to thank you that we can find rest, that we can find, uh, lay our burden on you and find that the yoke is easy, Lord. Let us know we don't actually have to deal with this alone, that we can trust those around us and we can trust you. Yeah, Lord, let us find healing from the things that we're going through, the situations or even just our anxiety and depression that we experience, Lord. Let us be able to hand those to you and find a God who cares deeply for his children. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Have a good week.